Hey, Jenny. I see you because you're five feet away from me. I also see you because you're five feet away from me and I'm wearing my glasses. Oh my God. We're in the same room in your basement. In my basement. I'm so happy to be here. So before we record season three, episode one together in the same room, together in the same room, this little bump for our race talk number two with our super awesome friend, head sorceress, Sean. We are recording this little bump because... In the episode with Sean, we mentioned that Sean's new book is available for pre-order. However, since the time we recorded the episode, (laughs) the book is now fully available. It has been published and the link for the book is in the show notes. Yeah. So you should snap that up. Yeah, you should. You absolutely should. Uh, another exciting, exciting news here from Etheria is that we are looking for an interim producer. Yes. We're someone who will work with us for about six months. Yep. It's up in the air for now. It's a paid position. And we're looking for somebody to not only kind of edit and hang out with us and gay scream while we are recording, but also can work on our TikTok and Instagram because I am a Luddite. I'm too old for that. (laughs) Yeah, we need someone to make our TikTok videos, edit our apps and manage our Insta in a more low key way. So the three main things. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, email us at Heyadora. Heyadoracast. Heyadoracast at at gmail.com. Yes. You guys know how to reach us. Yes. And I'm also really excited about. We have a Patreon live watch. Yes, our next Patreon live watch is coming up on October 22nd. We're going to watch some wild ass shit. Yeah, we haven't decided yet, but as we have done in the past with our fun Patreon patrons, you guys can vote on which episodes we will watch. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. UK. We are so excited to gay scream with you on our Patreon. Yes, yes, yes. And if you're not a member of our Patreon, you're missing out because the live watches are so fun. Yes, because we're a small community. So you guys can chat with us, hang out with us. Hang out with us. It's very informal. You know, gay scream. We have a lot of fun up in there on the Discord. We have a lot of fun up in that Discord. So hit us up on Patreon. Uh, and if you're interested in helping us out and being a member of the Heyadora team, you can email us at heyadorcast at gmail.com. That's right. And you can get Sean's book, link in the show notes. It's a very, very cool, spooky, dark fairy tale written in poetry form. I'm so excited. Are you ready for this episode? I am so ready. Are you guys ready? Oh, so ready. Kick it. Let's do it. Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-her podcast. I'm Force Captain Maps, they them. And I am Princess Jenny, she-her. And we have a very special guest today to have our sequel to our very awesome episode that you may have listened to earlier. This is our S-pop and race episode, the sequel. Yes, it's our very first recurring guest. Our first sequel, our first recurring guest. So let's all give a big rebellion welcome to Head Sorcerer Sean. Welcome back. Welcome back, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. So give everybody a little heads up about if you if you didn't listen before or you want to remember who Sean is. Sean is a playwright, an author, and a huge nerd. She's the creator and the facilitator of Queer Women in Torah Workshop. She has a new workout. It's called The Red Door and is a dark fairy tale told in story poems and was a semifinalist for the Cave Canem Poetry Prize. It is currently available for pre-order at Ben Yehuda Press. Yeah. So previously... On Hey Adora, a queer Shira podcast, conversations about uh, S-pop and race, we chatted about some things like the uh, racial paradox of Etheria and how Etheria, though, is technically a race-blind society, it has the feeling and seems like it's just super-duper white. Uh, We also talked about race understanding of queerness. We had some great conversations about Azula. Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. From Avatar The Last Airbender and... Who was the character from Once Upon a Time? I never remember. Regina Mills. Regina! Regina Mills, yes. And just kind of understanding how race impacts our our understanding of... uh, Trauma. Trauma and empathy and queerness and all all of those fun, totally lighthearted topics here that we often, you know... (laughs) Light and fluffy... Nothing, yeah. nothing too serious. Because you know that's what I think of when I think of our podcast is light. And well, you fluffy know we're a full service podcast. We cover it all. We we absolutely we do. laugh a lot, but we also tackle the heavy stuff, and that's why you guys love us. That's true. So we have a couple of new things today that we wanted to bring up. Um, just kind of sit and like have a little bit of a chat about. 
So Sean, you wanna you wanna you wanna take this one? Um, yes. Um, so yeah, like before, I think I said before that like this is not a racism 101 type of conversation, and that I'm not really interested in asking, is this racist? Is that racist? I'm not I, that's an evaluation that's like that's kindergarten. That's not a productive conversation. Yeah. It's not where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And it permeates everything because we live in a white supremacist society. So racism permeates everything. We have to move past that and talk about how it affects the things that we consume and how it affects us by virtue of how we consume them. By being more aware, we can be better, more critical consumers. Is that a fair right. Is that a fair statement, Sean? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. More than fair. Cool. Okay. So moving right along so that we've established that. Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. So the new stuff I, that um, I guess I wanted to talk about where there's some stuff that I was hoping uh, some questions or whatever would follow up from last time, but new stuff, racial prejudice and discrimination in Etheria. Uh, what? Prejudice and discrimination in Etheria? In my Etheria? It may be more likely than you think. Yes. Yeah. Last time I think I said that Etheria has no prejudice or discrimination based on race because they're technically race blind. Right. They want to think of themselves as race blind, as many Americans would like to think of themselves. That self-perception doesn't automatically mean it's true. Right. 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 Yeah. But then I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong because there's this little part in Princess Prom where Scorpio talks about, and I, I quoted the, um, the actual bit of dialogue here. She goes, I never really fit in. I never really fit with the other princesses. I make them mm. uncomfortable and they don't like that. They don't like me. And Katra responds in her Katra way. It's like, and that's exactly why you have to go. How dare they pretend to be better just because you're different. And there's um, hints that Scorpio may have experienced some kind of like bias or prejudice when she, because she was born looking a certain way. And then, right. Spoiler alert, when we get to season four and she defects to the rebellion, um, Scorpio brings it up again. And she says, you know, the Horde always told me I was different, that I wouldn't fit in with you all. But you're making me feel the opposite of not belonging, which I guess is belonging. And um, darling, Scorpio, never change. Um, Preach! (laughs) We love you, Scorpio. Yes. We love you, Scorpio. She's like, it seems easy to dismiss because, well, I mean, they're the horde. Of course, they lie right. about something like that. You know, absolutely, yeah. Oh yeah, your your uh, family totally just gave you up. You know, we didn't slaughter them or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But but at the same time, other than Scorpia, um, none of the princesses have these distinctly non-humanoid features. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Froster could use ice to make pincers, but like, and I know that Mermista can shape shift into a mermaid but but it's not the same as like walking around every day with a pincer and finger and an exoskeleton yeah it's true like scorpia doesn't have the doesn't have the mutability that that mermista has mermista can visually code switch right like yeah, she's only a mermaid when she's is, in the water and she's only a mermaid when she's in the water and she transforms into a mermaid does she like, have the like, control because i got the impression that when she touches water she turns into a mermaid a la Daryl Hannah in Splash. If anyone is or, old enough to remember that gem, or if you're <laughs> if you're a weirdo like me, you remember, or also possibly younger, of uh, the Australian television series H two O. It was about Australian teenage girls who turned into mermaids. And the only reason I know about it is because one of my bandmates' daughters was like obsessed with it. So did they turn into mermaids by choice or by virtue of water exposure? The, by virtue of water exposure. Like, and it was like a, t- like a countdown. So it's like, oh no, I got hit with water. <laughs> 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh no, I'm a mermaid. I can't do anything because I'm not in the water. Like, and like every single like episode was like really convoluted. Like, oh no, I spilled coke on myself, and now I'm in the water. Now I got water <laughs> on me. Coke like, also counts as water. Anything with water in well, it. Well, anything with water in it. Yeah, oh, I mean, wow. I might be exaggerating yeah. that, but like that every hilarious. single conflict was, "Oops, I spilled something on myself." Oh, this re- that kind of reminds me of like Princess Tutu. I don't know who that is. No, anime. It's it's amazing. I love it. I. <laughs> It's anime, so bear with me. The, the explanation is kind of weird. I'm with you. Let's do it. There's this man who wrote stories, and he wanted to make this write this grand tragedy, and like, but the characters get sick 
of the story. Uh, so there's a spell, like a forbidden spell, and the story maker gets inspired because he lays eyes on this duck and puts the duck in the story, and lift, and but the duck is transformed into a girl in the story. But if she does anything duck-like, like um, say quack or fall in water or something like that, she turns into a duck. Wait, wait, okay. First of all, this sounds awesome because obviously it sounds like a, it sounds like a magical girl anime, which obviously I'm about, right? Yes. Um, but it's, it's magical girl ballet anime. I kind of <laughs> love that. I kind of love that. Get your Tchaikovsky on. <laughs> Yo, I, I <laughs> it's a really awesome anime. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Princess Tutu. Cool. Yes, watch it. All right, <laughs> awesome. I definitely H two O Australian Mermaids. Princess Tutu, Duck Girls, all good. But we are not talking about those things. Oh, we are talking about the things only in the sense of Scorpion not being visibly different. Yeah, and there's also like, on the Horde, there's Rogelio, who's a literal lizard person. And there's Catra, who's a cat person. And I think background, there are some Ethereans who, you know, are obviously non-humanoid, but like, they're in the background and they don't have Yeah, there are townspeople. Yeah, um, all over Etheria who are not humanoid. There are goat people and fishy people with gills and other cat people that aren't like like they're more cat-like instead of of Catra mm-hmm. who's like human with cat features. They're like cats mm-hmm. with human feature type of things. But they're right. Those are all background. Those they're all backgrounds. They're yeah. like maybe have one or two lines. But when it comes to Scorpia, especially from those two examples that you gave, Sean, about in Princess Prom, when she's talking about not fitting in, it seems in Princess Prom, like she's talking from her direct experience about, you know, they don't like me. I make them feel uncomfortable. You know, I don't fit in with them. Versus in the episode later on in season four, where she defects and she says, you know, the horde made me think that I wouldn't fit in. Mm -hmm. That's more of like hearsay. Um, So Mm -hmm. in one situation, it seems like she did have some direct experience. But I always wondered, it's impossible to know to what extent is it based on her behavior. Because she's so, she has no pretense and no guile. She doesn't seem to have social skills. Social skills to know how and when to lie to be polite versus like, this is me. Everything you (laughs) need to know about me, I'm going to put it right out in front of me because I am a wholesome, guileless character. And, you know, I have no pretense and most people don't know how to respond to that versus right, right. anything to do with her physicality. It's hard to know if how you can parse those things out. Right. Yeah. I think later on in that episode, Fractures, mm-hmm. when Frosta does the makes pincers because she thinks Scorpius pincers are so cool. It's like, yeah, they can pretty much cut through anything. So, of course, Frosta thinks that's amazing. Of course. <laughs> right. She does it. And then, like, Scorpia bursts into tears. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's. I guess alienated her her whole life. It's like seeing mm-hmm. it's like really embraced. That's a really good point. <laughs> like this person who's basically a stranger. It's a really good point. Right. Yeah. I always read a lot of the Scorpia stuff, especially some of the physical comedy stuff where Scorpia can't hold on to things. That's right. As uh also kind of allegorical for um physical disability that's right. and yeah. that's why i kind of get bummed out by when they do like the physical like oh i can't hold my folders right. they're too she slippery can't and work like this remote, even though they're telling her that she's in charge of this remote right mm-hmm. and it's like fucking make it accessible right mm-hmm. and also you know just the like idea that like her physicality makes people uncomfortable can you know also be tied into that sort of like the types of things that happen, you know, in different manifestations of ableism as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Or is it a disability if it's her entire... If it's it's her entire... Ethnic group slash racial group. Yeah. You know. Exactly. It's not and a it's- disability. This is, this is her physicality as, you know... Right. It's not like, oh, no, our baby was born different. They're just like right. everyone else in her family. <laughs> yeah, her, then- her parents also had pincers and stinkers. So. Yeah. Right, exactly. But like the and the world that she's in is not one that is accommodating of pincers and and stingers and. I mean, I think they like the stinger because you can knock people out with it. But exactly, I mean, it's useful, right? Like it's useful to others. They but like, like having her around know. as the muscle. Yeah, when it's convenient. Oh yeah, there, there's so much about Scorpia and race and mm-hmm. disability is not my wheelhouse, but um, mm-hmm. how all that combines and, yes. and how that's expressed. And how we like parse that 
like how we conceptualize those things and parse those conversations. But um, but in addition to Scorpio, you know, there's, there's Rogelio and there's, um, and we like talked about how the townspeople can be visibly distinct from humans, right. but right. like the named characters who have lines, not so much. And it's interesting that um, like the character designs that visually emphasize the humanity of the good guys um, while the bad guys get the more alien or animalistic features. So I was wondering, and then Rogelio is such like a, hmm, how do I say this? It's such an obviously ethnic name. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. I noticed that too. It's like, it's an obviously ethnic name. I mean, I guess Kyle is not is an ethnic name too, if you think about it, because everybody has yeah. one. But like, yeah, yeah. wait, no, I mean, a, Kyle is a particular- You're saying Kyle is what? an obviously ethnic name? I mean, yeah, he's- Yeah, he's he looks like a Kyle. Yeah, he looks like a Kyle. And he does look like a Kyle. Yeah. yeah. It's like he's it's like he's not just Kyle who has no race or ethnicity. I mean he's yeah. I mean whiteness you know, is an ethnicity. Yeah. Kyle Kyle is obviously Kyle the white guy. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, Kyle. Like I'd be surprised if Kyle looked like Bo. <laughs> like, yes. Oh. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. I no, I agree with that. Absolutely. But and that's the same in the same way that, you know, whiteness is invisibilized as a racial category in the same way that maleness is invisibilized as a gender category, broadly <laughs> speaking, in social discourses. You know, yeah. I think that people won't think of Kyle as an ethnic name unless you make it explicit that whiteness is also an ethnicity. Yeah. So Kyle is kind of like, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that writer's room when they came up with that. Because <laughs> like, first of all, it's such a... God, I, and I'm saying this as a black person. It's like it's one of those names where it's like, yep, <laughs> <laughs> like Chad. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a like, there's a whole like meme about it, right? Like the guy, like there's the whole like meme understanding of the guy Kyle who drinks the Monsters Energy drink and you know <laughs> does like you know, rides on his like four wheeler. It is definitely like that, like blonde kind of dumbass guy not like not like our kyle who is you know a feat and wonderful and imminently yeetable but uh, as in as in once somebody sees him they want to yes yeah it's like all the bad things happen to him (laughs) yeah which uh, you know it's it's kind of a fun turn you know of course it is of course it is the one exception is the kyle from south park who's jewish he's jewish yeah that's right (laughs) which is interesting that's right. Um, but then there's a whole can of worms with the South Park guys, which I'm I was going to say, there's a whole thing with the South Park guys. And we're, yeah. Nope. I'm here to enjoy myself talking about, you know, gay love saving the universe. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. Yeah, so we have Kyle and Rahelio. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Rahelio is the only one with an overtly quote unquote ethnic name. Yeah. Non-English American name. Yeah. Distinctly non-Anglo. Yes, that's a better term. Distinctly non-Anglo. And he doesn't speak English. He's the only one in Etheria who doesn't speak English. And yet somehow everyone understands him, even though they don't speak his language. He speaks to them in his language and they all speak back to him in English. Although uh, most of the time, I think the running gag is that most people don't understand him. But Lonnie and Kyle do. Even Mm -hmm. Catra does too. And right? who, Katra and Adora. I don't know. I don't know if they ever really. I don't know if they ever really speak directly to him. I, I sometimes get the impression that the only ones who really understand Rahelio are Kyle and Lonnie, because the three of them right. are are powerhouse polycule. Yeah. But I feel like they translate for him rather than the idea being that everyone understands Rahelio, but they just don't speak his language, but they understand. I really feel like it's just the three of them that right. understand each other. So there's this language barrier that no one ever bothers to try to overcome. They just sort of yeah. let it be. Right. And I wonder how much, well, I wonder how much of that we can read as an element of the setting or like something going on in the writer's room. Can you speak a little bit more to that? What would it be if it was an element of the setting? Like the thing with Scorpia, how she was saying um, the princesses wouldn't accept her mm. or whatever. She was led to believe right. that by the horde. Right. Mm. And she also hints that she's had experiences feeling excluded or left out because of how she looks. Right. And I'm wondering, it's like, okay, now is it the horde that is teaching them this? Or is this like just a, like, is this a deliberate choice on the part of the writers to characterize the horde this way as like teaching 
what is the term they have for their recruits? The, the war children or whatever you call war them? Orphans? Like, the, 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 the soldiers are cadets because they're young. And they refer to Adora and Catra as Shadow Weaver's wards. So perhaps ward is the word we are looking for in terms of the, the, the children that they raise versus cadets in terms of the soldiers that they then train from the children. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering if like, if it's the, like to tack on the evil, or, you know, tack on more evil aside from genocide and colonialism and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the like, is the horde itself teaching this or is this like just something that the writers thought was interesting to put in the script right yeah i, th- I think i see what mm. you're saying there. yeah like, makes sense. like i mean the horde is written to be a colonial kind of genocidal invader right, right? and this is an aspect of genocide right you go mm-hmm. into a place you you know you decimate a population and those that you absorb you then you know completely like indoctrinate into your way by saying well your way was wrong right right? you're lucky to even be here among us you know we have taken you in and they will not understand but we will make you one of us and therefore superior right like yeah and then there's that spoiler alert thing with horde prime where they're literally carbon copies of white dudes who are literally white yes and they're all the same white dude reproducing that same white dude and his white values just it over and over forever. It's like, yeah, they're literally identical white men. <laughs> like, yes. uh, Which is the scariest thing imaginable. One white man forever and ever and ever and ever. base white dude with dreads. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> white dude with dreads. That's the worst part. It is the worst. Oh, oh God. Isn't the voice actor black, though? Or, yeah, or he like, is, John. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's like. The, the black voice actors playing the evil guys with the deep voices, I'm here for that. Yep, he also, <laughs> like, he's the voice of Hordak, Wrong Hordak, and Horde Prime. Okay. So he gets to have so much fun doing all these different characters. Oh my god. Yeah, Keston John is yep. his name. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. This is clearly a work of fiction because, like, the the bad guy is like kind of interesting and compelling versus mm-hmm, what we see mm-hmm. the the people who want the kind of world that horror prime wants <laughs> not that compelling and interesting really i mean is he compelling and interesting he just wants everything to be what he wants how he wants it his way and nobody else matters yeah it's it's compelling in a weird way i guess it's like the darth vader thing where it's like even like even before you knew his backstory or whatever, it's just like, I don't know, it's something about the cape. <laughs> something about the helmet and the cape. It, it's just, I don't know, it's something about the aesthetic that really works such that whenever Horde Prime is on the screen, I'm not like, ugh, this dude. <laughs> it's, oh crap, this dude. Yeah, that's fair. Right. It's, yeah, it's, that's it's fair. like, oh crap, something bad yeah, is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, scary. He reminds me of like the monster in, in like these scary movies. It, it's like yeah. the, the alien, the, the xenomorph and alien. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't really. Right. The psychology of the xenomorph is not exactly what draws me in. It's just something. Right, about right. The, like not even the nature of it. It's just you have to watch. Yeah. It, it, it's something about it. He's like, you can't stop watching. Yeah. Versus something where it's like. Oh, more of this stuff. It's well done. It's scary. Yeah. 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 And it's a villain that you just want us to keep a villain, right? And I think that's that's one thing that we also have through the at the uh, end of the series. And also, it's something that ND has said, where it's like, sometimes there are bad people that are just bad. Sometimes there's just a bad guy. <laughs> like, that they just have to go away, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, th- this is a show that, like, you know, and this is the type of bad guy that just has to go away. There's mm-hmm. no redemption for this sort That's of thing. Right. Like, they just need to That's go. Right. We have cat, you know, and we have so many people on the show that are, you know, that are antagonists and have done have done things and have made wrong choices, but he is not choice. He is just pure evil. Almost no one is past redemption. Almost no one. Right. Almost no one is past redemption Mm -hmm. except for the person that is literally an embodiment of an unredeemable quality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's past the point of no return long ago. Yeah, there's n- yeah. no no course of events is ever going to happen that's going to make this guy change his mind about his worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to see a fucking origin story about horror yeah. crime because it's not it's not going to change anything. Yeah, yeah, please don't. No, that that's just I, I can see it yeah. now. The you like the the a certain segment of the YouTube populace 
Ugh. turning that into their like right wing recruitment video. Yeah. I, I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it. to be fair, to be fair, those people like wrote the show off before it even started because you know, like they didn't show Adora's tits. So like, oh, oh right? yeah, the people who were mad that they made Adora less sexy than she was in the eighties version, right? It's like, <laughs> um, I want to be turned on by my cartoons. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. But- that discourse i was just like please can, can y'all not just can y'all not just just once just for once just delay it a little bit i know is it possible to, to ask you not to do it just delay yeah. it a little yeah. bit <laughs> let the trailer come out first <sighs> yeah i kind of want to st- um, steer the conversation back a little bit mm-hmm. to the idea of you brought this up in the notes that you sent of the idea of physical appearance and morality and normal mm-hmm. and normal and good and odd and bad and i would love to kind of dig a little bit deeper to that because that is absolutely something that happens it's it's such a common trope not only like not only on this show where we see that like all of our you know our best friend squad are literally you know human or humanoid right ethereum who are human versus like all of our you know bad guys right mm-hmm. you know t- everybody from catra and scorpia to tongue lasher to you know literal robotic clones of bad white dudes like mm-hmm. they're they are divorced from humanness physically mm-hmm. and then therefore divorced from humanness from morality so right yes let's dig into that <laughs> i'd love <laughs> to we'll yes please into, then we'll dig into glimmer but yes um, please but, but one thing i want to be very clear is that um uh, I, I'm not trying to like equate Ethereans with non-humanoid features with like real right. life racial and ethnic group because that's a whole bucket of problematic. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's not a one-to-one, yeah, one, no, no. right? It's yeah. There's a whole bucket of problematic that I'm not trying to endorse. There. This is a fantasy um, show. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just that like the patterns that we we get from like cultural osmosis that link certain physical features to humanness and goodness mm-hmm. versus others and how race yes. impacts that is like like i said this is not a situation where i'm trying to say well the show is racist because they play into this thing i'm like i'm not saying that i'm just saying that this thing exists in the world and we're impacted by it yes and it shows up in the most unlikely places <laughs> you know where you know even in ethereum which is flat out fantastical and technically doesn't have racism mm-hmm. even race as a meaningful social construct right well they don't have racism because they don't have any meaningful cultural diversity you know that they too. have characters of, of varying skin tones but they're all created by writers and artists well i can't talk about the artists i'm just talking about the writers who are creating the culture of etheria all of the writers right. come from the same cultural background because they're all white so even though we have cosmetic diversity in Etheria, where we see characters of different skin tones, there is not genuine cultural diversity. Right. Yeah, I also would like to bring up, since you keep talking about the other, I actually want to bring up Edward Said. Yes, let's talk about Edward Said. Was he, he was a sociologist, right? I believe he was a sociologist. Yeah. yeah. He was very instrumental in comparative cultural studies and post-colonial studies. He was really influential in kind of generating those ideas. Yes, yes as academic uh, studies. And in 1978, Edward Said wrote the book Orientalism. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia right now. As a critical concept to describe the West's commonly and contemptuously depiction and portrayal of the East, a.k.a. the Orient. Uh, In Orientalism, the sense that Western scholarship about the Eastern world intrinsically ties it to imperialist societies that produce it, which makes Orientalist work inherently political and servile to power, so that was kind of his his whole thing on the, you know, Orientalism. But he also introduces the concept of the other. Yes. And also, I think it's important for us to say that Edward Said is Palestinian. So we're grounding yes. this conversation in uh, American and Western understandings of Palestine and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah. And just to be clear, he didn't, he really expounded and brought kind of the idea of the other two intellectualism at the moment, uh, or excuse me, contemporary uh, intellectual conversation. But, you know, othering and the other are kind of older conversations in like structuralist and post-structuralist philosophy and 
phenomology. I can never remember how to say that word. Yes. So I found my favorite Edward Said quote. Awesome. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily relate to the topic of the other and how we construct notions of the other, but it's still very juicy. So um, in the year 2000, Edward Said wrote an article to introduce the art of Mona Hatoum. She was a Palestinian artist and she did this great art installation of domestic objects. And the objective in Edward Said's words was to make viewers remember and disturb them at the same time. The domestic objects that make up the installation and performances of this artist have been subtly transformed so their everyday nature is on par with the way they surprise us irreconcilably. Therefore, Mm. a home Mm -hmm. ceases to be a comfortable and welcoming space, and the known structures also become hostile and dark. The beds have no mattresses, and the doors open only halfway. Mona Hatoum's art is therefore difficult to bear, and yet terribly lucid, just like the world Mm. of refugees, for whom belligerent intelligence is always above conformity. So all of that is just to frame this quote. And this quote that I was obsessed with in college is a belligerent intelligence is always to be preferred over what conformity offers, no matter how unfriendly the circumstances mm. or unfavorable the outcome. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Damn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's... Hardcore. That's, yeah, dude. I mean, dude, it's fucking hardcore. It's fucking metal. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking metal. Yeah. Anyway, so I think it's important to kind of bring up that understanding, and that was my little mini Professor Smart Brain kind of nugget there. Good times. Thanks. But it definitely plays into here in Etheria, and it's often benevolent. Like, the, it's like, you know, the quote-unquote benevolent racism, right? So it's 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 the benevolent, there's also the benevolence thing here. In in Etheria, it's not that the writers, and I'm kind of going with the writers, and the, the character designers and everything aren't doing this as they are evil, they are bad, but just the fact that they are different makes it easier for us to then kind of project our own, the inhumanity on it, and therefore. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of any like bad guys who are just flat out humanoid, and I'm not counting Kyle or Lonnie here. Right, right. I mean, the closest we get is Catra, but but even she is humanized in a way. She doesn't have like a cat head. Yeah, she I mean, like, Shadow right. We don't see her face. She is scarred. No, but we see her elf ears. I mean, she has elfy ears, but otherwise, you know, she's human. And she has. She kind of flo- does. She even have feet. Yeah, we never see her feet. I'm saying she's more humanoid than Rahelio or Catra, you know. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's like anyone who's like not a clone or a shadow magic consumed masked <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, right. We could we can also like have the other be, you know, other in terms of, you know, non-corporeal too, right? Like yeah. I mean, I guess part of her's physical, part of her may not be. Right. <laughs> it's like the, the whole mystery of who Shadow Weaver was. I mean, I mean, I imagine she used to have feet. But yeah, I mean, when we saw her in Light Spinner. <laughs> was she yeah. was she born with feet? <laughs> we saw more of her face in Light Spinner. We're demanding Shadow Weaver feet pics here, guys. <laughs> That's what we're doing here at Hey Adora. That's where but, we're at. And it's but but even so, with Shadow Weaver, there, there are a couple of factors here there's like lorraine toussaint is her voice actor yep we adore her yeah like who is that a lot of people would be like but like there's also um like in her backstory she has a facial covering yes like yes it covers half, like most of her face right. and it's mm-hmm. like so is that like um hijab or something or it's like well, it's well like, we talked room. about that in light spinner because we talked about the fact that ethereum yeah. has no religion so yeah. it's mm-hmm. not a hijab as far as we know, okay. there's no religious reason for facial coverings in Etheria. And she wasn't okay. scarred until after, you know, that backstory episode took place. So why? So why? There is no explanation mm-hmm. ever given. Other than the fact that she wants to maintain this air of mystery. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we know she's dramatic like that. But I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's an interesting choice, considering. I'm like, well. Right. And then, but then you she does lose humanity because when she becomes Shadow Weaver, she literally is masked. Like, so there is that, that there is a detachment from humanity, even though her body is human, humanly shaped. She is essentially a sentient mask with like, you know, spooky hair. Mm. And rags. Yeah. Yeah. Like she is a shade. She's. Yeah. She's a human. Like she's that, a human shade. She, she becomes a shade. Yeah. She's like a ring wreath, I guess. Um. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or a Dementor or whatever, you know, or Shade or any of these yeah. like... Yeesh. That was a really good point. Not not yeah. just about Shadow Weaver, but the general question, can you think of any bad guys in this show who are fully humanoid? Right. Yeah. Uh, I just want to jump in for a second because I was thinking about the non-humanoid bad guy and, and the humans. And when do the humans become... Because we do have instances when the humans do become evil, and that is when they are possessed. Mm-hmm. It's it's body snatchers, right? It's invasion mm-hmm. of the body snatchers. It's possess. It's a possession. Who else gets possessed besides Adora? Mm-hmm. Oh no, um, no, the chipped. Oh, yeah, the right, chips. Spinnerella and Mermista and yeah, all of them. I wasn't thinking body snatcher to me does not equal possession. Those are two very different things in my mind, but I understand now that you're equating them. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, and, and that's what it is. Like their their body is being taken over. They're being right, used as right. like a puppet for you know colonial white supremacy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's how you know he's evil. White. Yes, dude. he's a white dude with dreads. But that is a, a, a fascinating kind of like twist on that to the only time where we see our human characters, humanoid characters, presenting characters become evil is when they're not in control of their human attributes. Mm. Yeah. So once again, we still have them as an inhuman version of hu- of humans and therefore are still othering them in order to make them villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's this right. Interesting. Tasty stuff. This is yeah, tasty stuff. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. not saying... The show is so racist for doing this and not saying that. No, no, of course, <laughs> no. Of course not. We're not saying that. We love the show. It's just one of those things in the culture miasma that seeps through. That's very well put. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you brought up Darth Vader as an as an example. I mean, Darth Vader is, you know, he's a, an evil dude that is a helmet. But then when you see Darth Vader, right, when he oh, takes this off the helmet, AC, he's a oh giant he's, grub of a white guy. <laughs> but also is not human. He's not fully human anymore. Ugh. That's right. Uh, so I want to talk about Glimmer. Let's talk okay. about Glimmer. All right, Sparkles, let's go. Let's go, Sparkles. <laughs> so I, so Sean, you had some ideas on how race impacts the way that fans expect Glimmer to relate to uh, Adora and to the yeah. rest of the squad. So, and specifically around Glimmer's trauma. Yeah. Uh, this was a really juicy part of the last conversation we had. So I would love to hear your thoughts on kind of where we're, where we are with that, with right. specifics. So, yeah. So like really, imp- I guess really um, impactful for me was watching that YouTube. Like I had a weird feeling about it for a while, but then mm-hmm. I saw this YouTube video called In Defense of Glimmer. I saw that too, uh-huh. and I agreed with everything yeah. 100%. And it's like... Yep, yep. Yeah, and c- because a lot of people are like... I see, like, I browse Reddit. I'm not on Reddit. No judgment. <laughs> and we will definitely put this video in our show notes because it's important. Yeah, and it's... Glimmer gets a lot of hate. Yes, she does. For mm. not being yeah, she does. supportive enough of Adora. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, she has her own issues and her own stuff going on you know she's and it's got like, a kingdom to run yeah she's got a lot of her own shit going she's got a lot <laughs> yeah. of expectations on her shoulders yeah you know. yeah and she's got this thing with her mom and it's and, and i know like because um because glimmer is relatively sheltered compared to the people that the horde oh killed but she's still yeah. impacted by this war in a very real and visceral way yeah, I mean, and, she lost her dad. Yep. Yeah, her dad. She grew. She grows up more or less without her dad, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how much she remembers of him. Right. But she keenly feels his absence, and there's so many of comments I've seen about that. Well, she should have done this, that, and the third. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. She's she's making decisions about survival, and not to be cold about this, but friendship kind of comes second to that. You know, that like when you're a head of state. Yes, just like Frosta. Frosta makes a lot of the same points that Glimmer makes. Yeah, and it's like, you know, she can't prioritize her buddies, I mean, her friends, over the well-being of the kingdom or ending this freaking war. Yeah. You know, that has devastated Etheria for who knows how long, from decades as far as we know. Right, right. And, you know, and 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 that war is, you know, real to her in a way that it wasn't real to Adora until, like, you know, the beginning of the show. Right. Yet I think people expect her to kind of drop everything and cater to what Adora needs. And it has echoes of that Black best friend thing. Like that, that person of color who only exists to support 
and comfort and protect the white person. Yeah. Right. The white protagonist. Yeah. 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 And it's like, um, guys or not guys, but people, she's got a lot of her own stuff. She has to work through and, you know, that she's being called a bad friend or not supportive or, uh, you know, they call her, you know, stupid or whatever. Or that she's too egotistical. Yeah. Or that she's being egotistical. And it's like, really? It's like, she has a lot of weight on her shoulders. She has the welfare of an entire kingdom to think about. She can't just think about what she wants. She has to think about. Well, also she is, she is ego driven and she is driven by those things. And that's not, a bad thing. She's a fully fleshed out character and she shouldn't be held to a higher standard than that as well. Like, yeah, it, it, she comes in for a lot of hate in season four. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, a lot of hate. Which is not to that's say that rough. she doesn't make mistakes, but everyone makes mistakes Absolutely. in this show. It's a rocky mm-hmm. journey. It's a long road. And yeah. season four is the is the big glimmer season yeah, right yeah, like yeah. that's when the dark see, night of the soul it's the yeah. dark night of the soul season and glimmers is dark because glimmer just lost her mom yeah like not not only just lost her mom she lost her mom whom she believed sincerely was immortal yes she, oh who everyone believed was immortal well yeah because she couldn't die she, she just couldn't disappeared. die like, immortal angelic being mom i mean yeah it's like how do you even wrap your head around that yeah. You literally expected your parent to live forever. Yeah. Right. You know, always there, always at the castle, a little bit of it. It's like, and then right. in a moment, it's gone. Yeah. Yes. And that is so poignant in Glimmer's growth, too. Because, I mean, that's something that we, like, you know, we as adults kind of, that's a kind of a really scary and hard thing that you go through as an adult. Mm-hmm. Like, you think your you think your family, you think your people are gonna live forever. And we mm-hmm. don't even really literally think that. Like we know on some level that, we know on that some everyone's level. gonna die, but Glimmer never had to face that for her mom. But Glimmer never had to face that. But of course, you know, it's fantasy, right? Like that's what it does. It takes the it takes the right. micro thing and it blows right. it out. Right. So right. yeah. And so we're watching somebody literally go through like one of the biggest, most traumatic like parts of of uh, you know a person's kind of like maturity and movement through through their life and then has to shoulder the burden of a kingdom and then has to shoulder the burden of being a commander a war commander like in the most dire possible time in the most dire possible time to do this and people yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. anyway so what's our what's our next topic moving on from Glimmer? Or did you have more you want to say about Glimmer, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I sort of, um, I guess I wanted to touch on like how, what it is that makes Glimmer's trauma so easy to overlook. Mm. Yes. Let's, yes. Because I don't have a thesis about that. I just have questions. Okay. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, so how does race impact the ways that Glimmer's own trauma has been minimized in fandom? <laughs> yeah, so that's my note. <laughs> well, I guess my question here is that, you know, so last time we talked, we talked about how Catra's trauma sometimes is uh, minimalized, not minimalized, is, is, is a villain, is villainized. That's not a word, but I'm going to use it. Um, vilified, is vilified by segments of the, of the fandom and having Catra's kind of manifestations of trauma seen as abusive. Right. Mm-hmm. And that relates back to the Azula Regina conundrum. And we did talk about that before. I think my thing here is that, you know, especially in season four and a lot of the series, we see that Catra and Glimmer are kind of more written in parallel with each other than, Mm -hmm. say, Catra and Adora, who are written as complementary of each other. That was like the thought that that was the only thought that I had around that. Yeah. They both end up on Horde Prime ship. They've both made choices that have gotten them there, that somehow they're starting to mm-hmm. see each other's points of view a little bit more in ways that Catra and yeah. Adora aren't quite ready to see each other's points of view, but Catra and Glimmer are just a, a little bit. Yeah. I'm thinking about it in terms of the fandom too, right? Like both of them have made pretty hard choices. Yes. Yes, they have been forced to make hard choices because they don't have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, I think that might be something, Sean, you can tell me if you think I'm off base here, that characterizes Mm -hmm. a lot of white critiques 
of women of color, especially is that, you know, they don't like the hard choices they've had to make, but it's like, well, you're a white person, you have the luxury of engaging or not engaging. And if it's too messy Mm -hmm. for you, you can just sit on the sideline and say, well, I don't, I don't like the choices in front of me. None of them are good choices versus, you know, when you're a woman of color and, you know, you don't have the luxury of not engaging, you're going to be affected negatively no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are happening to you. You have to move forward and make choices no matter what. Yes. So, yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Not to get too political on Maine here, but it's like those people who say, I'm not voting because none of the candidates inspire me. Right. And I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, op- the people who are clearly, overtly, and openly stripping rights away from people. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and you can't muster it up enough wherewithal to do the the bare minimum yeah. to mitigate that. Right. And and yeah, and it does infuriate me when people when it's sort of like that disengagement. Like that. Mm-hmm. It, and it's sort of like, and of course when you challenged them back, where it's like, well, what options did they really have? Right, exactly. Nobody has anything. To say. Exactly, exactly. There is no ideal option on the table. Take it about it's like like with Regina, it's like, okay, what options did she have? All her options were just like, you, you see it on the show, the way her right. options were taken from her. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and you see that with Katra and Glimmer too. Yeah. It's sort of like, well, yeah. okay, this option's taken, this option's taken, this option's taken. Now, what do you expect? Right. Or, uh-huh. and then it's sort of like, well, why do you expect a well-adjusted decision-making as a result of this? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and that's not even talking about their, their starting circumstances. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so so it's like, uh, and so with, with Glimmer, it's like, okay, Glimmer is not only dealing with the loss of her mother, having the well-being of a kingdom on her shoulders, and being a military commander of a world war. Right. She's doing this without her support system. Right. Yes. That's right. Okay. And so all the like the the people who would normally kind of hold her back or try to talk some sense to her are absent from her life for most of for season four that's right like because they're all doing whatever and Mm -hmm. and it's like and she can't just (laughs) engage with them the way she used to because her position has profoundly changed and she can't just ignore that and say i want to keep doing what i used to do she just does not have that luxury nope right so it's like and then so it's like oh glimmer was so mean for ordering them to stay and i'm like well Mm -hmm. What did you expect her to do? Exactly. (laughs) And also, to what extent is Asian racism as the model minority playing into this? Like, oh, Asian people are supposed to be nice and polite. Model minorities don't fight. Yeah. Model minorities don't speak up and and disagree. And you're not supposed to be loud and rude and mean. And, you know, you're supposed to be polite (laughs) and you're supposed to just get along and be quiet and nice. Yeah. And, yeah, and docile. And docile. And this does not look like that. <laughs> yeah. And Glimmer is none of these things. Glimmer is none of these things. <laughs> nope. Glimmer chooses Glimmer chooses yes. violence. Yes. Glimmer is aggressive fist to face sparkles every time. <laughs> yep, because it, that's what she's that's what she has to do. Yeah. Well, I thought this would be a really good way to kind of transition into some of the things that you brought up about Bo and Adora, since mm. we're kind of jumping into some of the season five kind of conversations about right. that and how um kind of both of them work with Glimmer, uh, especially Adora. Mm-hmm. Especially Adora's self-sacrifice narrative and a savior narrative that she mm. has. Mm-hmm. You had a couple of things here, and I'm just gonna kind of read them and then we can, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your your thoughts. So the note that you have here for Bo is does Bo's lack of meaningful flaw reflect an ambivalence toward presenting black men in a bad light? Yes. And then kind of going back to what I was saying about Adora, specifically, you know, the the self-sacrifice, the destroying the sword type of thing, is to what extent does Adora's character arc a white savior narrative? Yeah. Or the Mighty Whitey trope, which if you want to find that, it's in TV Tropes. Just look for Mighty Whitey on TV Tropes. TV Tropes is awesome, by the way. Sometimes when I get bored, I just sit and I read TV Tropes. Yeah, it's great until you get to certain... The TV Tropes is great with caveats. Yes. It's great for insomnia. <laughs> Yeah. If you just want to widen your knowledge base of TV tropes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, people do not take it as, like, you know, the golden rule of, no, all, of, of all things. It's like Wikipedia. Yeah. It's Wikipedia for character yeah, nerds. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. And I think that, you know, broadly speaking, of course, Adora's character arc is 100% a white savior narrative. Yeah. It is. There's no getting around it. Is that all that it is? Of course not. But you can't say that it's not that because it is that. She yeah. literally came and from it's... another planet down onto this planet to be like, you know, have no fear. The white lady's here to save you. Yeah. The nice white lady is here. Yes. Nice. <laughs> the nice white lady is here from the people that have colonized this planet. Feels really bad yes. about it. <laughs> you know, she feels real bad about it. And I mean, to be fair, she is like taking some sort of action to make things better in a way that the planet has asked for. Yeah, You know, it's not like she's completely being like, I know all of the answers and I will fix right. this. But she's not do she's also not not doing that in other ways, too. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like it gets a little yeesh when you consider like, OK, she's literally got blonde hair and blue eyes and she's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and that's also like the if you want to talk about like the mighty whitey white savior stuff, there's also like the kind of. Like, there's Adora as a character that, how would I put this? Like, if Adora were a real person and she acted, and I was, like, in, a, like, a resistance movement, and she was acting around me the way she acts around the Princess Alliance, and I'd be like, hold up, you just got here. But they've <laughs> um, all been telling her that she is their mythical savior yeah. from the beginning of the show. Yeah, which is... So it's not straightforward. Yeah, it, it's just interesting that that critique is not there. It's true. That, or that, like, again, this is a, pretty much a children's show. I mean, I get it. It's, you know, it can only get much so dense <laughs> as far as, like, addressing these, like, very complicated sociopolitical mm-hmm. issues is concerned. So it's not like I'm going to rag on ND for being like, well, you didn't address this, that, and the third. I'm not doing that fandom i'm not doing that i'm nope (laughs) i'm just saying that like it's interesting that something that would definitely come up in my life is something that never came up in the show (laughs) Uh, i'm just gonna just throw like a little random like you know brain connection thought that like the person that literally like objectifies and you know um mythologizes adora is the other blonde girl (laughs) <laughs> like legit calls her the she-ra oh like, right uh, that's right like right like without question she's just like full-on in that's right for adora the whole time yeah. so yeah, yeah. And, and like i don't think like andy went into it thinking um i need a white person for this role i don't think right didn't andy originally pitch a black she-ra and the network wouldn't go for it it was like yeah, the network yeah, something like that, something right? Like yeah, that. Mm-hmm. and it was like no, it has to be like the original '80s cartoon or something, right? Weird the original Shira, shit. they wanted her to look. They the had same. to keep the yeah. brand. Yeah, it was Mattel. Mattel was like, we have to keep it because that is Shira. Right. There are certain things that you have to keep that right. is Shira. Like cue me rolling my eyes with that shit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there was studio shenanigans going on. Like there was. How do you call it? Intellectual property shenanigans right, going exactly, on with that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, okay. And, and it's just like I said, it's like this common thing where like when you need a messiah figure, it just so happens that it always falls on this whitest of the white kind of character. Yeah. Mm, like uh-huh. we're going like, to yep. talk about Star Wars, like Anakin Skywalker, when he was Anakin, unquestionably white dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when he's Anakin oh, he's the chosen one, unquestionably white dude. And we're going to talk about that wizard book by that lady, un- yeah. chosen one, unquestionably white dude. And it's like- Friggin' Buffy. Yeah. Buffy Summers. <laughs> yeah, and then there's like, talk speaking of Joss Whedon, and don't get me started oh, on that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the, I know. Like, the fact that his Firefly setting has all this Mandarin stuff. I know, but somehow no actual <laughs> Asian people. Just- just yep. the language and the culture, but not the people. A billion and a third people just not there. Yep. <laughs> what happened? Yep. It's like, yep. and, then, and it never gets addressed. It's like, hold on, wait a minute. What, yeah. What's going yeah. on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like. Problematic. The Yeah. It's just. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think Adora at least is aware 
that she has a problem with her savior complex mm-hmm. because that's what almost breaks yeah. her and Catra yeah. up at the end. Yes. Is that Catra is like, you don't have to play out this narrative. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Adora yeah. just does not know how to get out of it. Yeah. And it's framed, but I wouldn't say but, but and it's framed as kind of uh, Adora's personal issue as a result of personal right. trauma, as opposed to a reflection of the colonizer she used to be. That's true. That's very right. true. Yes. So it's like, yes. So it's not presented as, so it's presented as, you know, you were taught that you had no value aside from what you were willing to sacrifice for others versus uh-huh. uh, what makes you assume that we're not capable of doing this. Right. 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 That's a really good point. Yeah. So it's like, look, we've been fighting this thing before you came along. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and then it's sort of like, and it becomes really Oh my god, I came I came very close to disliking the Adora in season four because of that. And it's it is something like I'm pretty sure most people listening to this have been in a situation where they are knowledgeable or have an area of expertise, and a per and someone from a dominant group decides to interject and put themselves forward as the real leader and brains or whatever. And it's like oh yeah. Someone uh, who identifies as a man <laughs> doing a little doing a little mansplaining. Yeah, yeah, mansplaining, white splaining, cis splaining, yeah. like, like all of those things together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Chad. Thank you. <laughs> Sit down. Thank you, Chad. Sit Thanks, down. Kyle. Thanks, Chad. And it's like Chad's like, well, what she means is, or uh, well, I think we should sit down <laughs> you know like <laughs> sit down um and it's not that you know you want to create a situation in which people feel like they can't speak up or that it's right this authoritarian kind of situation like because adora just got away from an authoritarian type of situation and, and i understand the princess alliance doesn't function like that but at the same time it's her comfort in presenting herself as an authority figure. Right. At times above the actual princesses who are responsible for the well-being of their kingdoms. Right. And that sort of like left the, I guess it kind of let the bad taste in my mouth where it's like, pipe down. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ease back, you know, slowly roll. <laughs> um, yes. It's a round table you know, situation. Yeah. And it's like, um, you're not in charge here. <laughs> um value input but this is not where and it's like when she's like making the plans and roll with it or whatever it's like that's okay because the whole group kind of consented to that they were relying on her particular expertise in that situation it's not in season four it was a little bit different and yes it's related to adora's trauma and how she feels responsible for everything and Uh wants to protect uh glimmer and keep herself in this that and the third but there's also like Glimmer is a competent person. <laughs> She's, you yeah. know, yeah. there is a way you can, it's like, but her role in the world has changed and it's like, you kind of have to adapt to that. <laughs> um, yeah. It's hard for all of them to adapt to the fact that Glimmer now has authority. They don't want to see her as yeah. an authority figure, but she is. Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm trying to think where it's like, because I've encountered this, you know, I've seen it happen so many times where like there's a black woman in a position of authority and suddenly all protocol goes out the window mm-hmm. or all that respect that went to that, to the, you know, presumably white and or male person to Chad who just left, got a promotion somewhere else. <laughs> and now like Keisha is in the position and it's like, right. Oh, now we have all these suggestions and it, it's so it's insidious in a way. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying that the, that the show deliberately went there. I, I don't think that, that was on anybody's mind at all. It's just when I, you know, cause I can't turn off being a black woman. You can't. <laughs> so okay, I can't, I really can't. So when I look at that, it's sort of like, Oh, okay. I've recognized this. Yeah. And I don't think fandom reactions are necessarily emblematic of creator intentions either. No, no, not at all. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I don't think the creators intended for Glimmer to be hated that, that much, you know, by certain no. seconds of the and I, I mean, I've seen a lot of people in the fandom, I don't know how it breaks down percentage-wise. I've seen a lot of people 
have very little sympathy for Catra and say that she didn't deserve her redemption arc, which I think is crazy. Oh, yeah. Which I, I think is yeah. absolutely oh, yeah, ridiculous. It's like she did yeah. the work. It's not like she mm-hmm. just woke up one day and decided to switch sides. Right. We only see the beginning of it. That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. But we see her do so much meaningful work to change her behavior patterns yeah. and to identify exactly. and change her destructive behavior patterns. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, what would you have her do? She got punched on Frost by Frost on site. So it's like. Right. And that's yeah. pretty funny, though. She, I love <laughs> you know, there were some consequences there. Scene. There were some yeah, consequences yeah. there for, for yeah. what she did. It's like, okay. So yeah, this so this whole weirdness about race and being a person in an authority position of authority and whatnot. It's like it's, it's like I said, it's it's insidious and really tangled. And I think I hope Fanda would think more deeply about it <laughs> in retro, you know, now because it's like well, maybe some um, people will after they listen to this episode. Yay! Oh, I'd like that. Yeah, <laughs> discourse. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So I think Bo. I think I I think you're right. Um, That question had not occurred to me before you brought it up. His lack of meaningful flaws reflecting an ambivalence on behalf of the writer's room to display black men in a negative light. I think you're probably right about that. They they wanted to display Bo as, you know, a beacon of non-toxic masculinity. And they really achieved that. But they almost achieved achieved it too well. Yeah. Yeah. That should be the worst thing is that they made... A black man who's too perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Let's burn them all at the stake. Um, <laughs> they all have to go. The whole series has to go. Done. Cancel. 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 <laughs> a black trans man, no less, with no flaws. None. And it's but it is interesting because um, and like and because I, I I really had to think about that. It's like, does Bo have any real flaws? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking like, and what does it mean for him to be a black man in that situation? It was like, huh. Because I couldn't think of any. I really couldn't. Yeah, I mean, maybe but. the fact that, you know, he was too passive with his dads and, you know, rather than being willing to confront the fact that, like, the life that they wanted for him was not the life that he wanted for himself. And rather than face it, he just took the coward's way out and lied to them for years and years and years. And who knows how yeah. long Who knows how long he would have kept that farce up if not for the fact that yeah. Glimmer and Adora right. just showed up one day and they were like, Hi! Yeah, and then they got resolved in one episode yeah. in season two. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but like, even that—that's not, like, not like that's barely a flaw. It's like, oh, he just loves his family and he doesn't want to cause a fuss. Yeah, it's not like like Glimmer has flaws. Yeah, yeah. Catra has flaws. Yeah, <laughs> Adora. Has yeah, flaws. maybe yes. you could say that Bo is the only character who isn't really, really fully fleshed out. In mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't really have a dark side. He doesn't really have flaws in a fully fleshed out three dimensional way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And it's that thing where sometimes where it's like, like I said, I wonder like, what's wrong with, why not give bows any significant flaws? Like, I'm thinking about, because it's not like you have to go the toxic masculinity route to do that. Right, right. And I'm trying to think other male. Well, it's like, okay, what's the other? Okay, him versus Seahawk. We see Seahawk's flaws. <laughs> yeah, we you do. Know, right. he's such a glory hound. Yeah, he's kind of a blowhard. He's a little bit of a liar. Yeah, a little bit of a liar. Only because he's insecure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they really managed to give Seahawk flaws that do not feed into toxic masculinity in any way, shape, or yeah. form. Exactly. Right. Which exactly. is amazing. So it's like, yeah, it's like, I wouldn't expect. Oh, only a man would set those ships on fire. No, 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 for no, that no. reason. <laughs> no, it's like no, that's toxic masculinity where you keep setting boats on fire. Nah. nah. I mean, honestly, nah. I feel like the show, as you mentioned before, Sean, it's you know, it's a short form show, primarily <laughs> aimed at children, you know, all ages. But you know, they're just, and it's so dense. It's so dense with character development. It's so dense with plot. I guess they just didn't have time to make every character fully, fully fleshed out. And if they're going to leave one character just being perfect and angelic and wonderful in every way, why not let it be the black man? (laughs) The black black dude. Let him, (laughs) if you're going to have one perfect person, let it be the black man. Yeah. 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 Because that usually does not happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. I mean, there's like, who else? Well, his dads who are just ridiculously supportive. <laughs> I know. They are. Supportive. They're ridiculously supportive, um, but they're also, you know, a little bit um, risk adverse in the beginning. Yeah. 
Yeah. A little bit I mean, afraid of conflict, mm-hmm. which is, you know, natural for parents. Yeah, it's like, I, I wouldn't want my kid to go to war either. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Hey, I went through this and it sucked. Yeah. Don't do it, yeah, right? No, like, yeah, it, yeah, it really sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, considering yeah. how little screen time, considering how little screen time they get, you know, I think they're fleshed yeah. out a reasonable amount. Yeah, they're fine. I mean, they're fine. It's just like, oh, Nate, we see where Bo gets it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We're about to wrap up, and we've realized that there is no tidy conclusion to There's this. There's never going to be. It's like, oh, we solved. We solved the intersection of racism and media. We solved the intersection of racism and media. We fixed it all by ourselves. Yes, we fixed yes, it. Yes. Let's. We should all go out and enjoy a nice, refreshing coke. And you know, as people, and maybe this just occurred to me, as people are watching, if you ever have things that you notice that make you want to ask us questions or things that you would like us to discuss the next time we have a race conversation, you can always email us, um, you know, give us a shout on our socials. Yep. Yep. Because these conversations are always ongoing. Mm -hmm. So where can they find you online and what are you, what are you up to next? Okay. Um, on Twitter, I'm at project Zimzoom. That's project T Z I M T Z U M coming up is, uh, well, I'm just coming off of like doing a queer women in Torah workshop for Shavuot. Uh, so I have to decompress from that. Yeah, I come down well off the mountain. Things. It's exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> as well as um, in coming up in September, the Red Door is coming out. Um, but it's available for pre-order now. I think we just, we just said that. So, yeah, I'm pretty much chilling and waiting for that. Yes. Woo-hoo! Well, thank you, Headsource yeah. Rashawn, for yes. joining us once thank again. You so it was much. always a pleasure. It was totally awesome. Yes. Um, and uh, Jenny, you need to watch Dragon Prince so we can talk about we'll that. Well, do. Time, oh, man. You're going to have a ball with I Dragon Prince. Dragon you're Prince, really going to have a ball with Dragon Prince. This Australian mermaid situation. Oh, H2O. I, I got oh, to yeah. check it out. So it's two things Princess Tutu and Dragon yep. Prince. All right. Good news is Princess Tutu is only 26 episodes. Oh, that's great. I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> Only 26 We'll see. Yeah. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in more conversation, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us all of your fantastic recommendations for our next conversation or questions that you would like to talk about at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. So we have a Patreon. Yeah, we do. We have an awesome Patreon. We have an awesome Patreon. If you become a member of the Rebellion, you can get fantastic perks. And I think they're fantastic. They are magic. You get to be part of a really awesome community. So you can find the link to our Patreon, as well as a link to anything that you need, all of our socials, all of the fun stuff at heyadora.gay. That's right. Dot gay. That is our master website. For now and forever. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe. Ooh. Woohoo. Yeah.